maybe a little bit ironic that there was so much joy <laughs> in the congregation and in the family here last week. Like everybody was just in such a good mood, it seemed like, and except, <laughs> <laughs> except Mike. <laughs> and yet, we talked about suffering. We talked about how God's called us to rejoice or how we can rejoice even in the midst of suffering. And <clears throat> I talked specifically how Paul had a kingdom perspective and how he found his re- ability to rejoice in the midst of great suffering through his ability to focus on and have a kingdom identity of who he is and a kingdom understanding of who God is, a, a true, true understanding of who God is, and that he, he aligned his priorities with God's kingdom. And then finally, I talked about how he found his hope in, the, in a kingdom perspective, in God. His hope was in God. And, and as we, we were praying today and as we're, we're um, lifting up people in prayer, the truth is, is that we hear of a lot of pain that's going on right now, a lot of people going through difficult situations, through potential people potentially passing away, through health crises, through so many things. And it's, it can be overwhelming, but the truth is, as we, as we rested on it last week, is that we serve, as both uh, Mike and Rick were pointing out in, in their prayers, a mighty, mighty God. Uh, a God who is all-powerful, beyond, he's all-present, he's all-knowing, and he's all-loving as we are his children. He loves us with all of his being. He is love, as the word says. And so we can rest and we can find our hope in him as we get to know him better. Last week, um, the, the um, word came into me, I believe, from God to say, Remember who I am. I believe God calls us that. Remember who I am. And as we remember who the God is that we serve, we can see things through a different lens, through a kingdom lens that, that helps us. It doesn't take away grief, right? It still hurts to deal with things, but it can give us a different perspective. And sometimes when we find that peace in him, we can find rejoice we can be able to rejoice in the midst of suffering. So, <clears throat> since we talked about suffering last week, I thought only fitting to talk about doubt this week, just keeping that vein of, of <laughs> seemingly negative things, gloomy things. So we'll talk about doubt today. Um, but doubt from hopefully a, a, a different perspective, at least um, to be able to look at it a little differently and Specifically, the, the title of my sermon today is Stepping Out in Doubt. And I know that sounds ironic maybe, it sound, doesn't make sense because we're, the, God's Word tells us to step out in faith, right? And we, and we encourage one another to step out in faith. But I want to encourage us today, and, and I'm not <laughs> discouraging you to step out in faith, but I want to encourage you 
today to step out in doubt. And I'm going to obviously explain what that means as we engage the word today. So we know that as we're looking at suffering and as we're looking at the things we deal with in this life, even doubts, that God's word is our anchor, right? Our relationship with our Father, our knowledge of who He is, who we are in Him, God's Word, these are the anchors that hold us close to hope, that hold us into faith, that that hold us in a place where we can navigate the suffering of this world and the doubts that we have. And we know that God's Word does that, and, and where we're going to read today from Matthew 14, 22 through 33 does that as well. It's Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Matthew's gospel in general, he's speaking to a um, Jewish audience primarily, although obviously it's, every, it's for everybody. But he's writing to a Jewish audience and he's trying to show them how the Old Testament, how Jesus is the fulfillment, the Messiah that was spoken of in the Old Testament. He's trying He's trying to get them to understand, to find faith in Jesus and also dealing with any doubts as God's word does. God's word helps us with doubts we have as we engage his word to understand his word better. So when we come to doubts, I I thought it was fitting to kind of talk a little bit about my own doubts. Um, The truth is that I... By nature, I think I'm a doubter, a skeptic. Um, I'm that way when people, um, especially now with how many scams there are and all these things, right? Like you hear things and you're like, "Uh, is that, should I believe what they're telling me right now? But even before, even before um, I noticed or knew of all these, these scams going on over the phone, internet and everything, still I just had this this natural tendency to disbelieve or to at least be skeptical before I believe something. And in fact, I, when I was about 18 years old, I was, so, so let me backtrack. At eight years old, my, I, I accepted the Lord. I, I gave my life to the Lord, um, accepted his, his um, sacrifice for my life. But I never really walked that out because I had no environment that was fostering that in me. So around 18 years old, I was doing my own thing, not walking with God, and I got into a crisis of a faith crisis, a life crisis, very confused about life, trying to figure out identity, trying to figure out the world. And in the midst of this, I was reading the Bible, I was reading the Quran, I was um, just trying to figure life out. I was skeptical of the Bible. I was skeptical of the Quran, but I did believe in a God, so I'm going to try to figure this out. And God met me. Um, God met me. And I, 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 this is a, a, a story for another day, but God met me in a way through, through actually a dream. And I, I needed to be met. He met me in my doubt. And from since that day, God, my... God clarified that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And since then, I praise God, I haven't wavered from that faith. But 
it still surprises me sometimes that my faith has been so consistent and, and, and that I believe because I'm a, I'm a skeptic by nature. But God has given me faith in him and consistently, by his grace, I have that faith. And I would, ho- I, would, well, I would guess that I'm not the only one in this room that has doubts, that deals with doubts. And what I mean by that, and some, some doubts that we as Christians have, I believe doubts, questions of our faith are natural and, and part of the process of growing as a Christian. Sometimes Christians get to that, to that, um, to questioning big matters like, is Jesus really the only way? But most of the time, Christians are dealing with, God, are you really going to be faithful in this situation? Are you really going to provide? Or we'll notice, maybe we don't even notice we're doubting, but we feel it inside. We're anxious. We're fearful. We're hopeless. So we as Christians, we, not only myself, but we deal with doubt. We, de- we struggle with doubt. God, are you going to provide? Do you really love me the way you say you do? Are you listening to my prayers? It feels like my prayers are hitting the wall here. We have these doubts about, about our walk with God. And... The Bible has a lot to say to us about doubt, in part through the stories we read in God's Word about others who have doubted as well. And in fact, if you've read the Word at all, you would know that the 12 12 apostles, the disciples of Jesus, though mighty in faith and who who were the, Jesus is obviously the foundation of the church, but they were the first ones to go out and, and change the world in the first century for Jesus to spread the good news. But they too doubted. And they had many, there's many examples of doubt and misunderstanding and fears and this and that. Today we're going to be touching on one of them that stood out to me in a unique way. And that's, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. This unique facet of doubt that we find in our text. So we're going to turn now to Matthew 14, 22 through 33. And while you're getting there, I just want to quickly lift up a prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for, for your presence here this morning. We thank you for everybody who makes up Joy Christian Center, who makes up this family. We thank you for those who are here, and we, we lift up those who aren't, as we already did, Lord. I pray that today, Lord, in this next hour, this next period of time, that you would show up in our lives, show up here, and transform our understanding of who you are, who we are, and how to walk with you, Lord Jesus, in this life, how to become more like you. I pray that, that your word would be, would be expressed, that you would preach through me, that I would get out of the way, that your word would be um, illuminated, that our ears would be open, that you would anoint our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to receive your word, and that you would be blessed and magnified with this word. In Jesus' name, amen.
So again, we turn to Matthew 14, 22 through 33. <clears throat> it says, immediately he, speaking of Jesus, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered them, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out, reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So, obviously here there's some doubt, there's, some, there's faith, that Peter's experiencing, right? He's willing to step out of the water and walk, walk on water, which is a bit audacious of him, but, but um, there's, an, there's this faith that's happening, but also this doubt that's happening. So let's, let's break down this, this uh, passage and talk about that. So first of all, in verse 22, the text says that Jesus made the disciples go before him to the other, to the other side. So they got in a, they, he basically put them in the boat and told them, take off, you guys go before me. Which is interesting, and, and the text here in Matthew doesn't really explain that well of why Jesus was kind of adamant about pushing them off. But just to give some context to the story and some clarity, prior to this, prior to this miracle that happens as Jesus walks on the water, um, we, we get the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Right, And even before that, in this same chapter, chapter 14, Jesus is told by, by uh, John's disciples that John had been killed. Right, So we don't know yet if, we, the text doesn't clarif clarify whether the disciples knew about that, but potentially they were there when Jesus was told, and, and that's kind of a, definitely a jarring experience. So Jesus goes to pray by himself, but the crowds follow him. This huge crowd, then he, he meets them, he, he, he heals a bunch of diseases and sicknesses amongst the crowd of, of 5,000 plus, because they say it was 5,000 plus women and children. He fed them all, and then all of a sudden, he, after they eat, he says, okay guys, the disciples, get, get in the boat and take off, go before me. So in John 6, we, we understand better why he said that to them. John 6 explains that after he fed the 5,000 and did all these miracles to them, um, healing them, that they were going to and wanted to take him by force to make him king. 
So if, if you remember, there was a lot of explicit or implicit things that the disciples said along their walk with Jesus as well that kind of made them think he was going to become this, this king over the nations and take over um, Israel again from, from the Roman rule. And so this crowd is planning to do that. And who knows, maybe the disciples were, were in on that. And Jesus is like, wait, i got to get them out of here before they get influenced by this. right? Then the next verse um, it explains that Jesus went away. After he, after he sent the disciples away, after he got the crowd to go away and to calm down, he went and prayed. And I, I, the text, doesn't, again, doesn't say it, but I'm wondering if that was to recenter himself after everybody was throwing these, these tempting thoughts about being king, about rising up. Because remember, the, Satan did the same thing to him in, in the desert. So regardless, what, regardless of the reason, as Jesus often did, he went alone by himself to pray. Then the, this text transitions to tell us and to talk about what was going on specifically with the disciples. It explains that the the boat was a far distance from the shore. It explains that, again, that he he told them to go right after after dinner. It says evening. So so they take off, and they're in the the middle of the, of the, the lake, of the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And then the text says specifically that there was a headwind, that there was this massive amount of wind, and that the waves were beating against the boat. They were beaten by the waves. And just to put some, some clarity, to bring some life maybe, or some clarity to what was really truly going on there, you have to look closely at the text. So like I've mentioned before, sometimes if you just look at other translations of the Bible, it can give you nuances of, the, of what a certain word means. So if you look at the word beaten that, that, that's in verse 24, but the, it says in verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So this word beaten, if you look, I believe it's the NIV, it says buffeted, buffeted by the waves. And I'm, that's not a word that I'm, I use often. I was like, I want to understand that word better. So I looked it up. And the definition was to, be, to strike repeatedly and violently. So these 12 disciples, and it doesn't say if there's anybody else with them, they're in the boat, and they're in the middle of the sea. And I'm going to point something else out to you. That the text says that they're in, they're, it's by this time the fourth watch of the night. So... The fourth watch of the night, according to the Roman um, kind of way of dealing with time, the fourth watch of the night was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they left in the evening on the Sea of Galilee. They were going to the other side, wherever that was that they were headed to. And they've been in the boat, dealing with these crashing waves, wind that's slowing them down, their headwind, for hours by this time. Let's say even it was late evening, 9 o'clock. They've still been in the Sea of Galilee for hours 
dealing with this. Seven, six, seven, eight, we don't know how many hours. So they're being, being overwhelmed by this. And I, and I looked up that word a little further um, to look up other meanings in the Greek. And it, it said that this word can also, it, it's not translated, let me be clear, it's not translated, um, the, word, the word beaten is not translated into these in other translations, but nonetheless this word has other meanings and, and sometimes can be used to mean torture, to mean torment, and can mean, um, it can be used to, to speak of something that's hammered into shape, like shaping metal, gold or something, shape. So they're being hammered by the winds and by the waves. And it's in this moment, in this fourth watch, in between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that Jesus shows up, that Jesus arrives on the scene. And, in, and he doesn't just show up, but he shows up in style, right? He, uh, he decides, rather than asking somebody else to, to bring him in a boat or wait till the next morning when he sees somebody or go stay at somebody's house until meeting up with the disciples later, he decides he's going to walk on the water through this crashing waves, he's going to walk to them. And as we know from the text, when they see him, they think it's a ghost. They're terrified. The text says they're terrified and they cry out, it's a ghost. They're terrified. And Jesus' first thing, as he does with us through our suffering and our grief and our fear, he steps into our presence, he stepped into their presence and he said, Calm down. The text doesn't u- literally use those words. It's, it's uh, take heart or take courage. But in other words, my paraphrase is, calm down, guys. It's me. It's me. And again, looking more closely at the text, Jesus is using, and, I, and I'll tell you the, the Greek because it, it's, it's very important words for you guys to understand. The, the Greek is um, the, the same words he used for, uses here for I, um, it's me is the words that, we, that is translated, the Greek that's translated from the Hebrew for the, the way that God introduced himself to Moses. I am. I am. Ego, a me is the, the Greek form. It's like a it's a way of, of emphasizing, I exist, I am. So Jesus shows up on, on scene. He says, calm down, take courage, I am. He's walking on water. If that's not enough to think like, wait a minute, <laughs> something's different about this person, obviously, right? They, they've seen Jesus do a lot of things. They already know He's different. Um, in fact, if you think about in Matthew 8, a similar situation, they're, they're out at sea and Jesus is sleeping for some reason through this t- tumultuous storm, if you remember, and they're fearing for their life and they wake Jesus up and say, we're going to die, help us, save us, Lord. And what does Jesus do? He gets up. He says, oh, you of little faith, the same words he told Peter here, and he calms the sea. 
So he comes to them and he, he says, Calm, he says, take courage. And he says, I am. And then we, we get to this, this moment of faith and doubt coupled together somehow. We think of often of faith and doubt as a dichotomy, right? Faith is on one side, doubt is the other. They're opposites. They don't exist together. They're, you know, with, if, you're, if you're truly in faith, if you're truly experiencing faith, you're not going to have doubt, right? As a believer, we're called to faith. And are we not supposed to doubt? Some people feel like you're not supposed to doubt. In fact, there's a lot of churches that people have doubts and never talk about them because you're, they feel like you're not supposed to have doubts. And I hope today that me telling you this right now and also the message expresses to you that we are a family that acknowledges doubts, acknowledges questions, and we want to be there for one another and to listen to doubts, to listen to questions, encourage one another through those doubts, and to be there with each other. And so we bring our doubts to one another and we bring our doubts to the Lord. So Jesus is there, he's, he's standing on the water, and we get this, again, this, this moment in time where we witness faith in the midst of doubt and doubt with faith at the same time. Specifically, Peter tells him, Lord, if it is you, and let me, let me emphasize that, he says, Lord, if it's you, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. So we don't know if he wasn't close enough. Well, obviously they thought it was a ghost, so he wasn't so close they could see his face, at least at that point when they said it. And we don't know how far Jesus is <clears throat> when Peter asks him to, to, to do so, but for some reason, there's a doubt there. Lord, if it's you, command me to come. So he's, he is in the same moment wondering, at least wondering, if not doubting, is this you, Jesus? And at the same time, this, the only word that can come to my mind is this audacious faith to think that he can walk on water too. But you'll notice that you know, Peter does a lot of audacious things. It's not surprising that Peter does some, some things that um, um, are a little, little um, that others wouldn't do or says things in the moment and doesn't have a filter. But Peter must have learned something by this time because he doesn't just jump out of the water. Oh, I'm going to do it too and jump out of the water, right? He knows, as we read in John 15:5 that we can do nothing outside of our connection with God. Without God, we can do nothing, right? So he knows that, and he says, if it's you, command me to come out on the water with you. And what does Jesus say? Come. Just one word, come. Come. 
So the text says that, that Peter came to Jesus. Again, we don't know if, it's th- if he's three feet from the boat. We don't know if he's 30 feet from the boat. But the text says he came to Jesus. So he walked up all the way to where Jesus was, at least in, in hand's arm's length of Jesus. Because the text goes on to say that when he saw the, the wind, which is interesting, when he... You know, he didn't, you don't see wind, but obviously when he saw the effects of the wind, the waves and the, the blowing against his body, and, and the, maybe he saw the boat behind him or next to him flopping around, and, and he got scared. He, had, he, had, he was afraid, and he doubted. And in that doubt, he started sinking. And in that doubt, he did what we all need to do, right? Jesus, he said, Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus, as he does, he reached down, grabbed him up, and saved him from the waters. And think about it. This is Peter. This is a a fisherman by trade. This guy had to have known to swim. In fact, we know he knows how to swim because when after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus met them on the Sea of Galilee. And remember, he jumped out as soon as he saw Jesus and started swimming as fast as he could to go meet with Jesus. So we know he's a swimmer, a, co- a very confident swimmer, because in that text where, Jesus, where uh, Peter jumped and swam, it was 100 yards. The, the boat was about 100 yards, the text says. So he's a comfortable swimmer, but the waves were crashing. The surf, if you want to call it, was, 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 was horrible. And he was afraid, and Jesus lifted him up. And then, I've never thought about this before, but, but um, wrestling with the text this week, I, I realized it seems that Peter then walked back, right? Because it doesn't say he, Jesus carried him back or drug him over the waves back. It says that, 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 that there, they went back to the, to the uh, boat, and it says that when they stepped in to the boat, the wind ceased. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, Jesus tells him um, when, he, when he was sinking, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So then again, we get the, the miracle of the wind ceasing all of the sudden in a moment, kind of like we saw in Matthew 8 where Jesus calms the, the sea, calms the storm. And what do they do? What is their response? The response that anyone should have, they worshiped him. And they said, and they said, you truly are the son of God. There was a revelation in that moment, right? A revelation from the, the, we're already in chapter 14. If you read through Matthew, he's already risen some, somebody from the dead. He's already done a bunch of um, healings and, and, and um, set people free from demonic oppression. And right before our text here, he, um, he healed a bunch of people, fed a 5,000 people. So they're, they're you know, these things are, are hitting left and right, these miracles and these, this power that God shows, but then he shows up walking on water. Even, 
even giving somebody else the power to walk on water, Peter, and then calming the storm again. And it's interesting, if we look to, to Matthew 8 again, at the, the story of the, where he calms the storm, in that story, they have a question. If you remember, they had a question. Rather than here, he calmed, the, the storm's calm and, and he walks on water and they say, you truly are the Son of God. Rather than that, it, it, in, in Matthew 8, they say something along the, side, the lines of, um, who, what type of man is this? Or what type of person is this? That he has control over even the wind and the waves, the storms. And it's interesting that this, other, this, this second experience with them in the, 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 the waves and, and, the, and the storm, that they answer their own question from Matthew 8. Who is this? What is this man or who is this man that he should calm the storms? And then in this time, they, they, they connect the dots finally. And they say, you truly are the Son of God. So, just to, to break down the Scripture, to get a better, a, a, a broader understanding of doubt as far as it is concerned with Scripture, I thought it was good to, to highlight a few different people doubting. People that we might not, or we, we might or might not think of as, the, we might think of people as faith rather than people that doubted, is my point. So we, we think about, let's start with Abraham and Sarah, right? So you might remember the story where the, where, um, the Lord, some angels, and the Lord meet with Abraham, and they tell him, hey, you're gonna ha- Sarah's going to have a baby next year. And he's, and, and, and he's listening, and so is Sarah, and what does Sarah do? She laughs, right? But did, did Moses, I'm sorry, Moses, did Abraham laugh? He didn't in that moment. But if you read the chapter before, um, you'll find that Abraham wasn't the, or Sarah wasn't the only one who, who laughed and ended up that being the name of their son, Israel, which means he laughed or laughter. Isaac, sorry, thank you. What did I say? Israel, thank you. Isaac, sorry. So, very, very good clarification. Um, so, what did, what did Abraham say? It says this, Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground. This is right after God told him that Sarah's going to have a baby. He says, then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? These are very good questions. (laughs) Very good questions. But he laughed and he doubted. God told him and he questioned it as did Sarah. Another one we know of, and this is a very popular story, so not, not hard to remember, Moses, right? Moses, God met him, said, I am who I am, I, I am, and introduced himself to Moses, said, you're going to be the one that saves Israel from oppression. And he said, no, uh, please no. 
I don't want to do that. I would, I would much rather you send somebody else, right? Whether he was doubting himself, which it seems, or God, perhaps, he had doubt. Then we get to Gideon. Gideon, the, the mighty warrior who, who with only 300 was able to conquer 135,000 or so uh, Midianites. If you, re- if you read the story, you'll realize this, this mighty warrior was a man of doubt, right? He, God, gave, God gave him a lot of chances here, if, if, if you read the story. First, he showed up, the, the, the angel of the Lord showed up and talked to him, said, you're going to do this, you're going to win, you're going to save Israel. Then, the same angel of the Lord, with a staff, touched his food, and it was consumed in fire in the moment. So we're talking about miraculous stuff. Then that same angel of the Lord disappeared, vanished in his, in his presence. So some major things God is giving him as signs. Then Gideon's like, but wait, God, like, how about the fleece, right? You remember the fleeces? Like, I'm going to lay the fleece out. If, if everything's dry and it's wet, then I'll believe you in the morning. Then it then God does it, then he says again, uh, one more time, God, like, how about this time everything's wet and the fleece is dry, the wool is dry this time, and God does it. So you're like, okay, Gideon's getting it, he's, he's starting to understand. Then God t- comes to him and tells him, look, you're going to save Israel, and if you're still afraid, then go down to the enemy's camp and listen. And he goes to the enemy's camp, and he overhears a guy telling, talking about a dream. And then the, the, the guy's buddy says, oh, that dream means that this man Gideon in Israel is going to overcome and annihilate the Midianites. And he's like, okay, I believe. I finally believe, right? He was a man who we think of as great faith, but a man who, had, who in the midst of his faithfulness and his faith also had much doubt. And then we think of, there's a lot to, to choose from, um, John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, we think of a man of great faith, was filled with the Spirit in the womb and, and lived his life only for the sake, as far as we know in the text, only for the sake of preparing the way for the Lord, preparing the way for Jesus. And he lived that. He, he, he preached, he, he baptized, he baptized Jesus a bit reluctantly as Christ told him to. And then what happened, he was imprisoned. Remember from, from King Herod. And ultimately, being in prison, as we, we all might, <laughs> we were like, we, if we were him and we anoint, or we, I'm sorry, we, Baptized the, the one, the Messiah, the one who's going to come and save Israel from their oppressors. And then all of a sudden, I'm in jail right after this? That doesn't make sense. So he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one that was prophesied to come? And what does Jesus tell him? He says to the disciples, go and tell John all that you've seen and heard of me, that the blind gain sight, that the dead are raised, and, and he explains. 
Go tell them all the things I've done and all the things you've heard that I've done. So, again, John the Baptist, this man of faith, this man of God, that prepared the way for Jesus himself, had his doubts. So I wanted to to kind of continue explaining a little bit about my doubts, because the truth is that we need to be open about our doubts with one another, because that's the only way when we bring our doubts, we've talked about this before, when we bring darkness to light, God can shine on it. He can heal it. So we bring it out to one another, and we bring it out to God. So if you were here at my ordination service, you'll remember when I talked about how though I felt called to ministry at 21 years old, it took me a long time to, until I was looking for roles as head pastor, as lead pastor. Um, I did a lot, of course, a lot of different ministry, volunteer ministries, worship, youth, all these things, um, outreach, evangelism, but the idea of being a head pastor was overwhelming And why? Because I had doubts. So I had many, many doubts, a lot of them having to do with me, doubts in myself. But when we doubt ourselves, are we not, in a way, doubting God as well? Because we are made in his image. We are weak, but strong in him. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So if we believe in his word, and we believe in him, we believe in ourselves as his children, right? So I, was, I had my doubts. I, I mentioned at the ordination service that my wife, Sonia, was helpful along the process of encouraging me. And it kind of makes me tear up a little bit, but thank, thank you for that. So, so God used my wife to help me along the process, and he also used other people. I, I had people prophesy over my life. Um, but also, God knows me. <laughs> um, he knows I'm hard-headed in some ways. As I mentioned, a uh, skeptic, I have my doubts. And he knows he's got to really drive a point home sometimes for me. It happened in knowing, um, in me getting confirmation that, to, to marry Sonia, and that's a fun story too. I, I could, would love to share that another day. But... In this instance, this happened, this was a dream. God, God met me with a dream, and it was about four years ago, um, 2016, so I was 36, and I was, you know, just doing life and, and had this dream, this specific dream. And in this dream, I was with a group of people doing outreach, like evangelism out in the streets, outside. I don't Remember where we were, but we were outside. <clears throat> and in this dream, we were going, and, and some people were, re- were receiving God's word and following and, and going with us, and other people were refusing it, and even some who refused it later walked with us, which was exciting to think about afterwards. And then later in the dream, and this is beautiful, I, I'm so thankful for this dream. I don't get dreams like this all the time, but... Um, praise God that he, that he met me like this. Later in the dream, me 
And the people that, was, that were, were um, with me, we all started climbing up this ladder to heaven. And you think of Jacob's ladder, right? And I, I, I'm not saying it was Jacob's ladder, but, but it was this beautiful picture of a group of believers on their way to heaven, on their way to the kingdom, on their focusing and, and, and walking straight towards God and his will. But as we were doing this, we were literally climbing up this ladder towards heaven. And I, and I had this, in the whole dream actually, I had this immense amount of faith. This immense amount of faith. This, and for me, just being honest, I have and have had insecurities through my whole life. In this dream, I didn't have any. I was just like on it. God had filled me with all kinds of faith and, and, and trust in him. And I was moving forward with this group. We were moving forward, or up, I should say, this ladder. And it was dangerous. You know, I, I don't know how that correlates with, with our, I don't know how exactly the ladder correlates with our walk with God. But it was a dangerous, it was dangerous because we were very high on this ladder going to heaven. And I remember everybody had their doubts in the group. And I thought to myself, how can I, Lord, Lord, how can I be leading this group when though I have faith, I have doubts as well? I have fears as well. How can I be leading this group? And I remember as I was leading the group, whether it was an inner voice in my dream or God spoke it to me, I can't remember. But the message came to me, do not let that small percentage of doubt that, that, that's, that you're experiencing to hold you back from walking forward and, and, and living out of the faith, the large percentage of faith that I've put into you. Do not let doubt hold you back from walking with your God and in faith walking with Him. For me, that was transformational. Transformational. If you think about it, if, if you remember, as I've talked to Rick and, and the elders and many of you about the, the park ministry I was involved with before, if you remember, I always would say it was around three years ago we started. So if you think about it, my dream was about four years ago. It was just over three years ago now that we started that ministry. God, God, uh, what's the word I'm looking for he anointed me or he um, encouraged me to step out in faith and stop stepping back in doubt. So we started that park ministry, um, that outreach and evangelism ministry at La Fuente where I was before. And then God prompted me to start looking for positions as head pastor. He gave me the trust in him that I can step out in faith even though I don't have perfect faith, as I don't believe anybody does other than Christ. Um, so yes, so that was transformational for me, but I do believe that that dream wasn't just for me. I believe that dream was for us, for us, for all of us, that we need to not stop ourselves from moving forward in faith just because we have some doubts here and there, just because we have questions Yes, we bring those doubts to the Lord. Yes, we bring those doubts to one another. Yes, God will meet us in those doubts. And yes, we do need to seek 
God to alleviate some doubts. But the truth is that there are some questions that we have that may never be answered. Um, I can tell you one, if somebody's struggling to, to become a Christian or struggling with their faith because of they're not able to understand, for example, the Trinity, like that's one of those that I haven't met anybody who can explain the Trinity in a way that our brains can fully understand it. For God to be one and three persons doesn't make sense to our brains. So we have to, what, what a teacher told me when I was in undergrad, um, he said, we, he, it was in Bible college, and he said, sometimes we just have to learn to live in the question. A good tr- a translation, if I can try to translate what he meant, sometimes we're going to have a doubt, we're going to have a question, and we just need to walk in faith despite that question or that doubt. So the dream gave me courage. It confirmed to me what I needed to hear. It helped me to where to gain the faith to where I'm here right now with you, walking with you all in our walk as Joy Christian Center, as God's going to lead us. So again, God spoke to me. Don't let the little amount of doubt that you have stop you from using the large amount of faith that I've given you. And I want to say that to you all as well. Don't stop. Don't stop because of doubt. Don't hesitate because of doubt. Remember that we all struggle with doubt. And whether we're a new believer or a seasoned believer, a a, a veteran believer, doubts come in many shapes and sizes. And we need to acknowledge them bring them to one another, and deal with them. But God uses doubters. He uses those who question. It's part of growing in faith to to get questions answered, right? To grow, we need to ask those questions. And if if we look at those those people who we just looked at, Abraham, Moses, as we think of them as in the ways that they doubted, we already highlighted the ways they doubted. But now let's think of Abraham and Sarah were the people that God chose to initiate the, his first covenant and, to, 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 um, and that through them, the, their descendant was the Messiah. And if we think of Moses, in, though he doubted, God used him to lead the Israels from captivity to be set free. If we think of Gideon, I already told you his powerful, um, the, the way God used him powerfully. We've talked about the way God used John the Baptist powerfully. God used the disciples powerfully in their weakness, in their doubting. And again, to bring us back full circle to our text today, We see Peter, though he has a a tinge of doubt, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to come. Tell me to step out into the water and I will come. And I want to encourage us today that we too have that faith, that type of faith that Peter had, that though we may have a doubt, 
here and there that we tell the Lord, if that's really you that wants me to step forward in this, I have a doubt right now, Lord, but if that's really you, tell me and I'll step forward. And as the Lord says, come or go for it, we need to be willing to step out of that boat, even though there's waves, even though it's rocky, even though it's scary, God calls us to step out. Don't let the doubt stop you. And when we think about ways, I've already mentioned this a little bit, but when we think about ways that we too can grow, that we too can deal with doubt, of course, as I mentioned multiple times now, we bring them to God, we bring them to each other. But ways, sometimes we, sometimes we have doubt that needs to be dealt with and we need to get healed from, if you want to call it that. We need to, to, to grow out of, mature out of. And in, that, in those cases, we need, we need to focus on the reality that, that we, can deal, we can be set free from some of our doubts through knowing who God is and through knowing who we are and knowing truth. In other words, to grow out of doubt through engaging God's Word, right? And that happens through prayer as, as well. Through, through engaging a relationship with God, He can heal those doubts, um, set us free from certain doubts that way. Again, we've also talked about the reality that some doubts are just there, and we learn to, 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 to live in the midst of the question or the doubt. But still, there's another way we deal with doubt. If you remember the, the Israelites, God often encouraged them to set up um, memorials, to set up memorials. As they went through the sea, they, they would put up rocks so that when they would walk by those rocks, they would remember, wow, God brought us through that and brought us to where we are now. So the way that we too can find faith in the midst of doubts is to remember, to remind ourselves of all that God has done for us, all that God has done for our family here at Joy, all that God has brought us through, and who is. Again, remember who I am, God tells us. Remember who I am. So we give God our doubts, our fears, our weaknesses. And we step out despite our doubts, fears, and weaknesses, knowing that God is strong when we are weak. As we were, as I was thinking, as we were actually worshiping today, I was thinking of the reality that Jesus I should say God, the Father. When we were needing to be saved, He reached down from heaven as Jesus reached down to grab hold of Peter. And He gave us His Son. Jesus, the Father, reached down to give us His Son to save us. And then as we read in the text here today, 
that as Peter stepped out in faith, he started doubting in the midst of that faith and he went down. But Jesus reached down to grab him, to pull him out and to save him. And I want to tell you that as we step forward, as we're called to, to be God's hands, his feet, his heart in the midst of our families, in the midst of of this city, in the midst of our cities, in the midst of the world as God may call us to missions. He's telling us, go, right? Go and make disciples. Step out of the boat and don't be afraid. But if you do get afraid, I'm right here to reach down and to lift you up. And we remember And I would call up the, uh, whoever is going to help with the, the elements today. Remember, as I just expressed, that the Father did reach down. When we were in need, when we were in need of being saved, The Lord reached down and gave us His Son. And then, 33 years approximately later, after being birthed, Jesus spread, spread His hands out to give his life for us. Again, reaching out that we might be saved. And as we talked about remembering, the importance of, rem- of remembering to help us through difficult times, to help us through doubts, to help us through Life. There is no greater thing to remember than the sacrifice that was made for us on Calvary. So take a moment, just you talking to the Lord. Just remember what He's done for you, that He reached out. When you needed to be saved, and He'll reach out every time and pull you out from the waves. Let's take a minute and just thank God and remember and speak to our Lord.
Lord, you tell us, remember who you are. And we remember. Our God who provides. Our God who heals. Our God who never, never leaves us nor forsakes us. Our almighty God. You tell us to remember who you are and you tell us also Lord Jesus, to remember what you've done. And you tell us to do this in remembrance of you. On the night that Jesus was rejected, abandoned, deceived, and betrayed, He took the bread as he took as he was eating with his disciples and he blessed it and gave, gave thanks for it and he broke it. And he told his disciples, this is my body. Take it and eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. And on that same night, he took the cup. He blessed it and gave thanks to the Father. And he told his disciples, take this and drink. The blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many. Drink this in remembrance of me. Lord, God, holy God, mighty God, holy Father, we thank you for your, for your love that you have since we walked away from you in the beginning. You have been doing everything you can to reach us and to save us from ourselves. And you continue to do that in our lives, Lord God. And the beauty of this life, this walk with you, Lord, is that you use us to do the same for those around us. You use our hands to reach out to the lost and the suffering and the broken. May we remember, Lord. May we bring our doubts to you always. May we bring our doubts to one another always. And may we know and trust that you always will meet us, that you always will reach down and pull us up. Give us this revelation today. 
May this revelation be not just insights in the mind, but revelation in the heart, Lord God. And may we not step back in fear from our doubts, but may you, both in us individually and us as a body, as a family, your body, May we all step forward in faith, even in the midst of doubts, knowing that you are bigger than any doubt that we can ever have. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory, holy, holy, holy God, in Jesus' name.